Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. I hope each of you uh, were able to grab a Bible on your way out. If you were not, we have now have pew Bibles. If you would, uh, if you do not have a Bible, we would ask that you please grab one. I will be reading from 2 Timothy, and it's chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. And in the pew Bibles, the number is 1,824 will be your page number, 1824. Give you just a second to turn to the package. This will be the passage uh, based on the uh, sermon this morning. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which is given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. But now, but now has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. You may be seated. Oh, God is good all the time. Our C20 group is going after services to conduct services for the assembly at, is it Knob Creek? Is that right? So I want to take a moment and pray for them and the brethren there. Will you bow with me, please? Our Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you that we're able to be here together. And for those, Father, who come, who Maybe it was a struggle. We, we give you thanks that, that their heart was so willing. Father, for our C20 group, our college and young adults who will be going to Knob Creek to conduct services, we pray for them uh, to have a safe trip to and from. We pray, Lord, that they will glorify you in leading that worship. We pray that they will bless the brethren there and that by serving they will in turn be blessed. Be with them. We give you our praise and thanks through Christ's name. Amen. There is a tradition that a lot of universities have, and that is when a professor is about to retire, he or she is allowed to give their last lecture. Well, one particular professor in August 2007, Randy Pausch, received a terminal diagnosis of pancreatic cancer after going through several operations and treatments in an effort to stave it off. He wrote and composed and delivered it. Carnegie Mellon, excuse me, Carnegie Mellon University, his last lecture, the title of which was How You Can Achieve Your Childhood Dreams. He was actually featured on the Oprah Winfrey Show, and on October 22, 2007, uh, he gave that last lecture on Oprah's show, and it was later published as a book and uh, was a bestseller at the time. 
One of the things that he said at the conclusion of his last lecture was that he composed it and delivered it primarily for his three children and not necessarily for his students or the worldwide audience. He did it for his children so that as they grew up and as they have very limited memory of their father, they would have his last words of advice. Some of the things that he said in that last lecture, knowing he only has months to live, he says, have fun. He says, I'm dying and I choose to have fun. Today, tomorrow, and the next day, I'm having fun with what time that I have. One of the other quotes is, the key question to keep asking is, are you spending your time on the right things? Because time is all you have. Second Timothy is Paul's last lecture, his valedictory address before he goes on to eternity. If your Bible's open to 2 Timothy, I want you to look at some passages with me so we can establish the background as to what's going on, hopefully to give us a better appreciation. We know several things from this, and that is, first of all, Paul was in prison. Chapter 1, verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, note this, his prisoner, but share with me in sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Chapter 2, verse 9, he says, For which I suffer trouble as an, even, as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Now, the prison system then is a lot different than ours today. A person's arrested today, they go through a check-in and all these processes and then their meals, their health care, it's all subsidized by the taxpayers. When you're in Roman prison, you have to provide for yourself. And you go, well, how do you do that when you're not able to work? Well, you notice in the Philippian letter, Paul was in prison as well, and the Philippians sent a monetary gift to him, and that was likely so that he could have food to eat, so that he could have some, some sort of shelter. Uh, he wasn't in a prison per se, but he was probably under house arrest having guards watching him constantly. So this is his reality. He's a prisoner. And secondly, his mission, his ministry is under assault. Verses, excuse me, chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Chapter 4, verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. So a prisoner whose ministry is being assaulted by maybe those who were once faithful. And to add on top of that, the stress that many have abandoned him. Chapter 1, verse 16. Uh, 15, uh, my apologies. Chapter 1, 15. This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are... Phygalists and Hermogenes. But he goes on to say, The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, 
For he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Then you go to chapter 4, verse 10. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. The next verse, only Luke is with me. And one final thing that we gather from Paul's letter. He believes that he is facing death. Chapter 4, verses 6 through 8 are often read uh, sometimes at the funerals of the saints that have gone to be with the Lord. But Paul writes it with his death in mind in the near future. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I finished the, the race. I, I, I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So there's the background of what's spurred this letter. Paul is in prison. There's another passage in Philippians, uh, excuse me, 2 Timothy 4, verse 16, where he speaks about how he had already made a defense. So he's, he's on trial. He's trying to defend himself, but yet he's a prisoner. So many have left him. And while he is under house arrest, there are others who are assailing his very work. And he's facing imminent death, having been abandoned by some of those who had stuck with him through thick and thin. Sounds like a very negative message. It has to be somewhat heartbreaking. But the one thing I want you to keep in mind is not only the circumstances that Paul was facing, but the perspective that he chose to have facing what he was facing. So go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's look at uh, these passages here. 2 Timothy 1 verse 1. You know the background. Now all this will be made to make sense. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So the first thing that I think Paul is doing, given his circumstances, is he's focusing on his young protege, Timothy, whom he refers to as his son. Now, Timothy wasn't Paul's son literally in the flesh, but uh, Timothy had a Greek father and a Jewish mother. Paul took him under his wing. He taught him the gospel. Timothy has been with him on various mission trips. He has learned how to be a preacher from him. He's learned what the church ought to do from him. He has become like a son to him. 
One of the greatest pieces of advice that I was ever given as a younger minister was to find my Paul, to be a Timothy to some Paul. And thank God I have my own Paul, Sellers Crane from the Rivergate Church of Christ and, and uh, I, his Timothy. A lot of the books in my library came from his library when he retired. He would message me or call me often saying, I've got some more books if you'd like them. And so I filled a lot of my library with his books. But I can, we email nearly every week and he wishes me well, I wish him well. We'll talk about things and on occasion I get stuck on a passage and I'll, I'll say, hey, what do you make of this passage? Here's what I'm thinking. I'm a little hung up. Can you help me out? Uh, it's, it's good to have those people in your life, those more senior with the wisdom and the knowledge that they can impart to you, not only just in understanding the text, but even when you face issues, you know, I can message him or call him anytime and go, here's something I'm facing. What's the best way to navigate it? And he has those, not only those years of experience as a minister, but he also has a good grasp of the word to direct me to do what it is that I should do to please God. But when you look at verses 6 through 8, it appears that Timothy is also facing pressure and struggling. He, he's told by Paul to remember to stir the gift of God that was given to him by the laying on of Paul's hands. And he reminds him that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. So rather than focusing so much on his own circumstances, though that has to be something in the forefront of his mind, he's aware of the struggles of his son Timothy, and, and, and he wants to encourage him in his discouragement. And so he reminds him, he says, I have served God with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. He is keeping the same tradition. He is serving God just as those who came before did. And so he, Paul, reminds Timothy, don't forget the faith that was given to you by your grandmother and your mother, Lois and Eunice. Now, there's something to be said right there. Let me point that out. There are a lot of times where it is that the only one in a household who makes any effort is the mother. In the perfect world, the father would be the leader of the household as a Christian man, but sometimes that's not how it is. But there are many strong mothers who see to it that their children, their grandchildren, as in the case of Timothy, receive the faith and know who the Lord is. His mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois did a pretty good job. I want you to notice a few of the things that, uh, that Paul says here. If you just kind of extrapolate them a little bit, it kind of tells you what kind of a job they did with Timothy. First of all, in verse 4, Paul says, I greatly desire to see you. Well, nobody greatly desires to see someone who's a scoundrel or someone who wastes their time or someone who just bothers everybody. Timothy has a sincere character partly given to him by his mother and his grandmother, you might conclude. Secondly, in verse 4, Paul says, I'm mindful of your tears. So you, uh, Lois and Eunice gave him a sincere character, but they also gave him a tender heart. He loved Paul, Paul loved him, and when they had to depart, Timothy was sad. One of the things that a lot of us were taught growing up is suck it up and be strong. 
And there are probably a lot of men who have had heart attacks and strokes because all they've ever done is sucked it up and been strong. As if there's weakness in crying. There's really not. The whole notion of masculinity being such that a man can't have emotions is very misplaced. Verse 5, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Maybe Timothy needed to be reminded of the faith that he has. He's seen how Paul has been done. He knows the own, his own challenges that he's facing and he's just discouraged, timid, we might, we might think. But don't forget where you came from, Timothy. I have served God in good conscience as my forefathers did and I know you have a sincere faith too that was given to you by your grandmother and your mother. Hang on to that. General George Patton said, courage is fear holding on a minute longer. That's pretty good when you think about it. Courage is fear holding on a little bit longer. So in everything that Paul is facing, what most concerns him is Timothy. He's concerned about Timothy. And he goes on, verse 8, which Gary read, verses 8 through 12. Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Full stop. Why would anyone be ashamed of the testimony? Well, here's why. If you're looking at it from a worldly point of view, here's what you could say. So you're telling me that your good news, the very word euangelion, translated as gospel, that is used of the exploits of Caesars, your good news begins with one of your own countrymen being betrayed by the whole nation, being put to death by a foreign occupier, the man you say is royalty, but he wasn't born in a palace. He was born in stables. And he wasn't born of the aristocracy or of the nobility, but of a young virgin girl and her betrothed. And there's a bit of a story around that pregnancy as it is. And so this very one who was rejected by his own folks, who was turned in and hand over by his own folks, now you're a prisoner because this is such good news. Do you see how someone might be ashamed of that? If you looked at it from that perspective. How appealing is a message that causes people to suffer. Paul is in prison. So many have deserted him and his future is not looking very good. You want to talk to me about the good news of Jesus Christ? This is what results from the good news of Jesus Christ? So th th there's me playing devil's advocate, how some may have been ashamed of this. But this is the exact same course that Paul is on. It's the exact same course that Jesus endured. He too was abandoned by his disciples, imprisoned and shamed. But why? The why is the most important part. Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us 
and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's the why. There are many philosophers in the first century. You have your Epicureans and various others, and they, they taught that once you died, that was it. It's almost like darkness. You never exist, like annihilation. And so a lot of people believe that this life was the life worth living. This is, you had to get all the things in this life because, you know, when you die, there's nothing. But the gospel says, though you die in this life, you can live eternally with the Lord. And, you know, a lot of people say, and you read this in the early centuries, a lot of people drawn to Christianity were often those who were less fortunate, were often those who were disenfranchised, who were some oppressed and so forth. Even today, it's a lot easier to go to a place like India or Haiti, as some of our brethren do, where people on the daily suffer and tell them this good news and they want it. Whereas in this country, in this environment, it's not as easy. Why? Because life is easy. And some people say that Christianity is a crutch. Listen, what, what I just laid out, does that sound like a good crutch to have? I could think of a lot better crutches than Christianity if that's how you wanted to look at it. But the fact is, Jesus, by what he did, abolished death, has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul says, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher to the Gentiles. For this reason also I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. Timothy may have started to feel the shame of, of, of everything. When you have a lot of voices saying, this is shameful, this is horrible, if you're not really set on God's perspective, it may be that you buy into that lie. And maybe Timothy was beginning to be swayed by that. Paul's in prison. So many have left. Look at all the horrible things that are happening. And so maybe he was starting to drift over to ashamed. Maybe he was timid. Maybe whatever it was, he was struggling himself. So Paul goes on, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. And the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. There are always minor characters of the Bible. Uh, minor, not in the sense that they are insignificant, but minor in the sense that they're mentioned and we don't know much about them. 
Onesiphorus. Next cat or dog you get, there's a name for you. I don't know what it means, but it's a good Greek name. Onesiphorus had traveled from Ephesus to find Paul. He goes to Rome. Most people have left, but you got Onesiphorus who's running too. And he finds him and he refreshes him. How? We're not told. Maybe it's just sitting down and praying with him. Maybe it's bringing him daily provisions. Maybe it's just the fact that he's present. He refreshed Paul. Even the apostle who has cast out demons, who has raised the dead, who has healed the sick and afflicted, needed refreshing. He needed that bit of encouragement, that care, that concern showed to him. But atop his concern, Timothy, stay the course. Stay the course. Fear not. Don't let go. Mysophobia is the fear of dirt. Hydrophobia, the fear of water. Nicolophobia, the fear of darkness. Acrophobia, the fear of high places. Taxophobia, the fear of being buried alive. Xenophobia, the fear of strangers. Necrophobia is fear of the dead. Claustrophobia, fear of confined places. And there are many people who have learned to fear things that they probably shouldn't, but they've never learned the fear of God. I married an amazing woman, but she's got a screw loose. Got your attention now, don't I? Last Sunday, we were at home, and I kept seeing this thing in the rock wall, and I'm like, oh, it's a leaf stuck in there. And then it, it became more and more evident that it wasn't a leaf. And I was on the phone, and I, I was like, look at that. And she comes around, and she looks. And so I get off the phone, and it was a snake. I was content to let that snake do whatever it was he was doing. But she goes over and grabs this thing by the tail and pulls it out of the rock wall and turns toward me. And I'm like, what are you doing? So when I say she's got a screw loose, that's what I mean. I wouldn't say I'm afraid of snakes. I just say I don't like them. That you stay, you tend to your business over there and I'm, I'm fine over here. Many of us who have fears of things here on this earth, we give sometimes very little heeding to the word of the Lord. Jesus said, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Many of us fear what can be done to us here on this earth, but not what God may have to do at the day of judgment. And that's why we need to repent, every one of us, and have faith. Sometimes our faith is challenged, maybe by life circumstances, maybe by struggles that we are dealing with in our own lives. Guess what? Paul had them, Timothy had them. But giving up on God is not going to make it better. 
If we had been in either of their positions, we may have been timid as well. We may have feared. But Paul was where Timothy didn't want to be, and he offered him calming words and encouragement to keep on keeping on. Whatever you do, no matter how bad it gets, don't give up. Because even if the worst should come to pass on this earth, we have the hope of eternal life in heaven. And sometimes it's easy to not focus on what God has waiting for us because of what we're seeing right in front of us. Paul would write elsewhere, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We walk by faith and not by sight. Don't let your sight outweigh the faith that you have. Maybe you have entertained as some of Paul's companions did, leaving the Lord. And I know some people are going to say, well, I still got the Lord in my life, but I just don't go to church. Well, if you've, if you've separated from the church, you've separated from the Lord in a sense. I know people don't like to hear this. Well, I, I, I can be a Christian and not have to have the church. Please show me book, chapter, and verse. If, you can, if, if you've got it, I'll buy it, but it's not there. I want you to notice in the Bible there are many things contrary to what we hear and say today. People today say, you do you, or find your truth, follow your heart, and all these mantras of an individualistic culture. But throughout the Bible, if you have a concordance or any kind of software to look it up, look up the number of times you find this phrase, one another. I'll give you a few examples. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Ephesians 5.19. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, James 5.16. Romans 12.10, love one another. Romans 12.16, live in harmony with one another. He's not speaking about a Christian that is just out on their own, but he's speaking about the church, to the church. And how can we obey all these one another commands if we're not in fellowship with the believers of the church? Because to not be in fellowship with the church is essentially to be estranged from Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And I'm sorry, you don't get the husband without the bride. It's a package deal. That's how it goes. Always be leery of someone who just wants one of you and not the two of you. It's a package deal. So let me give you a closing word of what I hope is just encouragement. When you look at this passage, I want you to think about what it is you're facing today. And some of us may not be facing anything. We may go, well, this is not applicable to me. Well, you may need it at a future time. But think of what you're facing and remember that Paul says what it is right now is a light affliction, which is but for a moment. But it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So what we're facing right now, he says, 
it's not as bad as we think it is. It's actually kind of small. Because once we have that eternal weight of glory, we'll look back and we'll go, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. You think about those who have, uh, you know, the mothers who have given birth to children, uh, the, the labor, the agony, and, and some try to do it without drugs. And I want to be like, you're not going to get a medal. I mean, so, but, you know, I, it's personal choice. Do what you want to do. Um, you know, but they, they have children and, and they go through these hours and they're, some of them are, are, are in pain and they're writhing and uh, uh, they may say things that later they have to apologize for. Maybe they hit somebody, pull their husband's hair, who knows what. But once they have that little bundle of joy, nothing else matters. All the discomfort, all the pain, when you hold that baby, it was worth it. And some are crazy enough to say, hey, let's do that again. Let's consider our lives as labor pains. The lives we live on earth can be like labor pains, but one day the bundle of joy will come. And we'll look and we'll say, it was worth it. It was worth it. Pray with me, please. Our gracious Father, it's my prayer that your word will have had its effect upon us all. I pray that I have rightly divided this scripture. I pray, Father, for all of us here. I pray for those who may be facing trials that are really discouraging, really beating them down. I pray, Father, that you'll give them peace, and I pray that you'll sustain them through what they're facing. I pray, Father, for all of us that uh, we would have your forgiveness, but I pray for those who have never named Christ as their Savior, I pray for those who have never put him on in baptism, who have never repented, who have never expressed their faith. My prayer, Father, is for them to come to that faith and obedience. And I pray you have mercy until that hour should come. Please go with us and be with us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. If you would wish to put on Christ this morning to express your faith, please come to the front as we stand and sing.